This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley! Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lead Singer Syndrome. As always, I am your host, Shane Told. So good to have you as we follow another conversation that I have with another lead singer. And I'm sure for many of you, the guest of today's episode needs absolutely zero introduction I speak to one of my oldest, dearest friends, J.T. Woodruff of Hawthorne Heights, and this conversation is pretty deep leveled. I mean, we start, we fuck around a little bit, we joke around, as J.T. and I always do when we hang out, but we get into some sad stuff as well, and one thing about my relationship with J.T. is I feel like I've spent some of the best moments of my life with him, and also some of the worst moments of my life, and... Watching them blow up on their very first tour with us was incredible. Watching them sell out a headline tour where they brought us back out after was amazing. But we were on tour together when John Beats from Bayside was killed in a van accident. And of course, the loss of their guitar player, Casey, was about as shocking as it gets. But nevertheless, I was on tour with JT just a couple weeks ago. We did some solo stuff together out on the West Coast. And believe it or not, it was so busy, we didn't get a chance to talk on tour. So I gave him a call, and we had an awesome, awesome conversation, one of my favorite I've had on this podcast. Before we get into that, a big thank you to everybody who checked out last week's episode with Brian from Have Mercy. Um, You know what? If this is your first time listening to this show, maybe go back and listen to some other episodes. We got like 80 of them, and they're all pretty good, if I do say so myself. And of course, if you want to get in touch with me, it's very easy. The easiest is email, of course. Everybody's got an email address, I think. Leadsingersyndrome at gmail.com. We're also on Instagram. We're on Facebook. We got a Twitter. So feel free to hit me up on there. Also, summertime is coming up. I'm not sure if you've done all your summer purchases yet, if you've bought the barbecue, the lawn chairs. We're going to be on Warp Tour, so we got to buy all that stuff. But I just wanted to remind you guys, again, if you're going to be buying anything online at all, the best place to go is Amazon. And the best place to go is Amazon because they have 
everything. Well, that's the first reason it's the best place to go. The second reason it's the best place to go is because if you use my affiliate link, whatever you buy at Amazon, this show gets four to 6% and it costs you absolutely nothing. And it's really, really, really simple. Before you go, okay, I'm going to buy something on Amazon. Use this link instead. LeadsingerSyndrome.com slash Amazon. It'll take you exactly to the Amazon.com homepage. You won't even know anything happened. Login is normal. And whenever you buy, the show gets 4 to 6%. And again, I don't know why Amazon does this. I mean, Amazon is huge. Everyone knows about it. I don't know why they want to throw me free money. But hey, I definitely don't feel bad taking Amazon's money to keep the lights on around here. So definitely, definitely use that link if you remember. Again, it is leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. And another way you can help at the show, if one episode a week is not enough for you, if you need more, if you want interaction with other fans of the show, if you want Lead Singer Syndrome merchandise, if you want interaction with me, I do a Q&A every month. I do a bunch of stuff. We're running contests. We're having parties. We're doing all this fun stuff. And for a little as $6 a month, you can join the All Access Club. I know I harp on it every week. I'm sure some people are rolling their eyes right now, but it really, really is awesome. We got about 200 people in the club. It really, people, we're making friends here. We're making friends. Shout out to the sinners. Love you guys. Excited for Sinner Fest coming up in a couple months. So all I ask is you check out the link, and that link is leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. Both Silverstein and Hawthorne Heights, we will be on this year's Vans Warp Tour. It gets started in like, I think it's like two weeks away. It might even be less than two weeks away. So make sure you have tickets for that. It's a great, great lineup. I'm excited to do it. And if you do see me around the park, wherever city, you know, say what's up to me. People are always saying, oh, hey, Shane, love your podcast. It really does warm my heart when that happens. So thank you guys for that stuff. And um, yeah, I'll see you this summer. But hey. Let's get to the reason we're all here and my conversation with JT from Hawthorne Heights. Hey man, how are you? I'm pretty average. How are you? Pretty average. That's um. What does that even mean? That's not. That doesn't sound great at all. Hey man, I'll be the first to tell you, you do not want to be great. You don't want to live great. You want to live at seventy percent, which is average. Seventy percent. Okay, is average. Okay, yeah. Somebody told me once. I forget what it was, but. Somebody said, when somebody asks you how you are, always just say you're good or you're fine. Because no one's ever really asking you how you are. It's just what you say. But by saying average, you're almost like making this a conversation. Exactly, man. I'm I'm telling you. And you know what? That's what we're here to do. (laughs) I'd like to live my life at average. If If you're ever, how are you doing? I'm incredible. I don't know that we are ever really incredible. The incredible is like the Taj Mahal or something. That's incredible. Or the Coliseum. That's incredible. I don't know that we're ever incredible. So average is good. And, you know, 
I'm from the Midwest, so average is great. That's how you roll. Cool, man. No, it's uh, it's good to have you on. It's funny, you know, when I started this thing, this is going to be, I think, episode 81. And it's crazy that I've talked to 80 people before you. You know what I mean? <laughs> like you being one of my best friends, like, you know, other lead singers, you know, that I've known for so long. And I don't know how it took us 80 weeks to, to, to do this finally, but... Uh, uh, I don't know. I think probably because... We haven't been on tour a whole lot together recently, and maybe uh, I'm happy to be like a fallback guy. Like, oh, we, you know, we have an easy conversation. This is cool. Uh, don't worry, I'm totally fine playing second fiddle to Fat Mike. <laughs> I want that's the interview that I want you to have because that is like that's a gem. And uh, right, it was a it, gem. You, you, yeah, you did an incredible job with it. I, I don't know what I would have said. I have no idea because he probably would have just made fun of me the whole time or something. I don't know. Yeah, no, he was really sweet to me, actually, in that, that podcast. I was surprised because he can be, well, he's a character, <laughs> you know, that, to say the least. So, no, it was actually really, really good. Yeah, he can be punk as fuck. Punk as fuck. Uh, <laughs> speaking of punk as fuck, I'm here with JT Woodruff of Hawthorne Heights, Mr. Punk himself. Oh, I'm so punk, man. Well, you know what? You're, you're kind of doing something right now that's sort of punk. I mean, you're printing your own t-shirts. Dude, if if I could not do it, well, actually, I could not do it. Uh, I actually enjoy doing it, but since we're leading up to Warp Tour right now, I hate it because I'm doing it like every day, 12 hours a day, and it's a pain in my ass. But um, I do enjoy it. I like the art form of it. Uh, and obviously, you know, we're all musicians who are just uh finding ways every single day to try and save money or you know try to make ends meet while being on the road and stuff like that um so i'm happy to do it i'm happy to do the hard work to uh make it happen so what kind of setup do you have for for screen printing that you do well i have a four station four color a brand called Vastex. If any, any screen printing nerds out there, I have the... Uh, There's probably a few of them. Yeah, I have the Vastex HD 2000, which is a, a very nice setup. Nice and forgiving and, uh, you know, rock solid and everything. But I can do just about anything. I've done stuff that is as complicated as, like, you know, four-color CMYK photo tees to just the classic regular old everyday white ink on a black shirt that is always the best seller. And would you do this like in your, um, in your garage or something, or do you have like your own kind of Hawthorne Heights uh, HQ? Uh, I, I set up my entire print shop in the basement of my house uh, in Troy, Ohio. Um, so I wanted to kind of keep it away from where we do all our rehearsing and recording and stuff like that, which is what I would consider Hawthorne Heights headquarters. You're, you're dead accurate on that. Um, but I, I like it here because I can literally print for two hours if I want and then go up and, like, watch the Bengals game or the Cavs game and then <laughs> go back down, you know, and, and print a little bit more. I like the – I've thought about getting, like, separate spaces and everything, but I like the idea that when I'm home, I can just kind of do it at my absolute leisure. Absolutely. Hey, there's a Cavs game tonight, isn't there? Game one. Uh, tomorrow. It starts tomorrow. Oh, is it Tomorrow. 
Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm in, I'm in South America, so I'm just like so feel <laughs> I'm so disconnected from everything right now. I imagine, man. I have I have never been to South America. It's always been on the list, and it's uh, it's never worked out. How, how are you doing down there? Are you having a great time? I'm shocked you guys have never come down here. Yeah, I don't know why. It's just it's never worked out as far as timing or or whatever. But uh, yeah, well, we're always looking, you know. We're in we're in um, Buenos Aires right now, and I think it's our fourth time here in Argentina. Jeez. So yeah, that's yeah, awesome. it's 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 crazy. Yeah, I mean, geez, we should have maybe hooked something up down here for this run. Yeah, no, no, nothing wrong with the word alive. Great people, uh, a couple Ohio boys in that band as well, but uh, well, at least one. But um, no, it, that's crazy. You guys have never been down here. I mean, maybe that's a good place to jump in. Like, um, you know. Talking about the Hawthorne Heights career, I mean, you guys had amazing early success in the U.S. Yeah, and yeah. very, very quick success. But internationally, it didn't seem like you guys did a whole lot until maybe you know quite a bit later. Yeah, I, I think that we we've always kind of thought about that as well as like you know should we have been hitting. Um, a lot of those other territories early on in our career. And I think it, it really just came down to, we got offered so many U S tours in a row to the point where like, we weren't like sleeping J- just like you, you know, the exact same thing when, when you're out there and you're trying to promote a record, you guys have always hit it hard from day one. And like, I think just early on, you know, we were just doing as many kind of, support tours with different types of artists that we could that like we didn't get over to the uk and europe until a bit later on and like maybe oh five or something like that before warp tour so or maybe it might even been oh six but i think it was oh five no i think it was oh six actually yeah i, I think you're probably right because actually i think it was with you guys our first time there i think oh was no with no no, no it was, was it, it was oh it was oh five Okay. It was definitely it was definitely oh five, right? Didn't we do um didn't we go over to the UK and it was it was with Yeah, that's yeah. right. Because it was with Bayside and Spitalfield yep. and our two bands and then yeah, obviously then when we started the US run, that was when the uh the whole beats thing happened on your headliner, which was uh you know, October of oh five. Yep. Yeah, that that sounds right. You know, when when so much stuff happens, just like with you guys, uh, it all starts to like blend together. You know what I, know. I mean? Um, not in a bad way, but you know, when when you're out there, you're like, I to be honest with you, I don't know how people do this and like do drugs and have any memories because I haven't done <laughs> sh- I haven't done shit and I can't remember anything. Everything you know, we, we're talking about like major moments in our career, and we're like, is that oh five or oh six? I don't know. We're I crazy, know, man. I know it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, um, I want to go back and I talk about the early life of JT. I know you have kind of, kind of an interesting story um, growing up in uh, West Virginia. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. That's correct. Growing and up, and I hear a, a little uh, bit of the a little bit of the twang there in your voice. <laughs> you know, luckily for you, you've interviewed uh, like Toby and Matt Carter and people like that, so I'm pretty yep. easy. To, I'm pretty easy to understand. Um, but yeah, I definitely have that twang and, uh, it's funny because I've always heard that I do not talk like this 
when I'm like on stage addressing the crowd or whatever. And then when people come back to like the merch table or we do an interview or something, they're like, where are you from? You don't sound like you're from wherever the rest of these guys are from. <laughs> and, uh, but I, I guess I'm used to it. So, so yeah, so my, uh, kind of early life is, is a tiny bit strange because my father was in the military. And, uh, so I was actually born in Germany and then I moved to South Carolina and then I spent about five years in Southern Georgia, which, you know, that's where my twang started. And then I moved <laughs> to West Virginia, which is a different type of twang. And, uh, and now I live in the Midwest, which is cut, you know, can kind of be a little bit twangy too. So, uh, <laughs> I'm I'm just a strange cat, man. I just got a weird voice. I don't I don't know what it is. What? How long did you uh, stay in Germany after you were born there? Uh, I went back twice. So I was born there, and I was there for I think a year and a half, and then we came back uh, for maybe two years, and then I spent like from four to eight years old there. Wow, so, that's crazy. That's like kind of a formative childhood yeah. years did you, you were you speaking german at all yeah a tiny bit um it's it starts pretty early there but i did grow up on an american housing area yeah. which uh yeah. you know is kind of what the military does but which is cool because the last time we were in europe i asked our driver uh we had an off day in between a couple of cities and i was like can we go to where i grew up just to see it and uh, he drove me there and it was like it was super cool the uh housing area is still there although it's no longer uh military occupied or anything like that but they still left up all the signage all the schools and the housing and everything looks the same man it was it was kind of creepy it was a blast from the past for sure wow, um, wow, that's, wow. yeah so my first real memories of my life were in a different country we're in germany and it's uh kind of kind of cool no, no, definitely. Um, and then, so, so let's talk about music a little bit. When, when did you start um, getting involved in like music? Like, actually, like you know, listening to records when you were a kid. Were your parents putting on tunes, or how, how did that work with with kind of just just in early in your life? Yeah, um, my family itself is not very musical. Uh, you know, didn't have any like performers or anything like that. Um, my earliest memories were of my mom playing the uh, the uh, Born in the USA album by Bruce Springsteen. So I've always nice. really liked that album. Uh, but she wasn't even like, I don't even characterize her as like a Bruce Springsteen fan. I think it was just the time period. You know, I think it was like 1985 or something. And uh, she was just yeah. cranking it up. So that's one of my, one of my first musical memories. But um, flash forward a little bit, and we are steeped in hair metal. Man, when I was growing up, and you know, from about I'd say I have an older sister, and from about eighty-seven to ninety, we were crushing like nothing but like Def Leppard and Guns N' Roses and Poison and Bon Jovi, yeah. and it was just a hell of a time. Um, and I'm happy to be able to live through that sort of like ridiculous era in music. Um, it really was ridiculous, and we don't totally. talk a lot about hair, hair metal on this podcast, you know, like bands like Warrant. I mean, it was just everything, the image, the lyrics, um, the, the, the way it was performed, you know, it was just 
what a time to be alive, you know? <laughs> yeah, man. I, I swear, my one of my only regrets is that I wasn't like, that I'm not like maybe five five or so years older so I could have like owned a trans dam while this shit was happening. Because that would have been, <laughs> that would have been it. That would have been, or like a convertible. That would have been the, <laughs> the best time to be alive. But, you know, I'm happy to, I'm happy to have, have those first like real deal musical memories. You know, like the first uh cassette tape that my mom ever bought me i got two for christmas whatever year this would have been maybe 86 87 uh and it was appetite for destruction nice by guns and roses and poison open up and say ah and uh (laughs) you know so that's my first like i'm you know sitting in my bedroom cranking that up and uh you know i guess the rest is uh, it gets a little bit better you know, I start listening. To, right, right. Yeah, I kind of meander through, and then my sister shows me. Uh, my sister shows me grunge and Nirvana right. and the Pumpkins and everything like that, and uh, I just fell in love, man. Yeah, well, you're lucky. I mean, if you're five years older, you would have had like the horrible '80s hair. There'd be all these pictures that exist oh, of yeah. JT in his yearbook with the you know the flock of seagulls hair or whatever. That is exactly my sister's life. My sister is five years older than me, and she has some doozies. And she, <laughs> she's not a, she has not been able to live it down. But uh, That's you funny. know, I, yeah. I, I can say that I owe being turned on to great music by my sister because of just showing me like Nirvana and the Smashing Pumpkins and Weezer and. Uh, you know, just just all those bands like Soundgarden and um, Ugh, so sad. Yeah, yeah. It just you know that when stuff like that happens from that era, it's like those were my first like real deal. Holy shit! This music is super cool. It's super angsty. It's super aggressive compared to whatever else was out at the time. And uh, and uh, you know, my sister's always been great about about turning yeah, me on to stuff like that. That's funny, you know, my sister is seven years older than me, too, and she was definitely instrumental in in my musical upbringing, too. And um, with, with her, it was a little bit more more heavy stuff. Uh, yeah. Like, you know, one of the bands that, that really, you know, well, the band that made me want to play music was Metallica. And listening oh, to yeah. my sister listening to, you know, Injustice for All in her room, and I was like, what is this? And um, so for you... What was it? What band was it that that made you say, "Okay, enough with just listening to this stuff. I want to play it." When when did that happen for you? That's a great question. Um, I th- it kind of happened twofold for me because I'm a huge sports guy. I grew up in a small town. There were literally nobody that I knew was playing an instrument or had a guitar or anything like that. So that really wasn't like an option early as early on as maybe as it was for some people. Um, mm-hmm. It just wasn't like, you know, nobody was doing that. But when I first started to like hear stuff that maybe like be like, man, what if I could sing or something like that? That would have been definitely Green Day Dookie um, and uh, Weezer, the Blue Album, like stuff like that. And then um, so I would like, I started to sing a little bit um, and just try to try to do that. But, you know, I was playing sports so much that I really didn't even start playing guitar until I graduated high school. And that is when oh, I was wow. full on into, like, Fat Wreck. You know, just anything you could right. get your hands on that was either Fat Wreck or Epitaph. 
uh, punk rock. Yeah. But, you know, like you and I have always talked about no effects, you know, no effects is my, one of my favorite bands, no use for a name. One of my favorite bands. Um, I always really liked strung out, but that shit was always so unattainable for me guitar wise, because, you know, like when I, was, <laughs> yeah, when I was listening to it, I'm like, dude, how are they even playing this shit? I love to listen to it, but I'm not. I can't learn this. This is this is going to fry my well, brain. Well, you think with the with the hair metal influence, you know, you'd like kind of like that stuff. The more technical I guitar do. work of those kind of bands, you know. I, I I like to listen. I am a fan. I just cannot do it. I don't know. I, my brain doesn't work that way. I think it's probably because I'm left handed and I started playing guitar right handed late in life. So like, right? I have, yeah. I didn't have that like. 15 year old can sit up all night drinking red bull playing xbox mentality i was like i need to go to college and i'll learn to play guitar in my spare time so right but it seems like you know you weren't trying to learn guitar to be a shredder you were trying to learn guitar to write music you know that's a big difference between between the shredders is there's a lot of great guitar players out there you know, um, I think of some some guys like you know the the virtuosos like like Joe Satriani and Steve Vai and you know those guys that are just known to be guitar players. Can those guys write any songs? I I've mean, al- I've always thought the exact same thing. I'm like, when I'm listening to somebody like that, I'm like, man, yeah, that's an incredible lick right there. But like, what else is happening? You're like, mm-hmm. what is what is like pulling you in? And th- and then you get into the ones that are just like virtuoso style instrumental and i'm like man this guy's just ripping a scale if i sat there and like all i did was learn the scale and shred the scale and shred the scale and shred the scale i have no doubt that i could get much better at guitar but that never really interested me um i wanted to write songs i so instead of like trying to learn other people's songs you know like when you're younger i think you want to i think you want to learn like a song that you're really into, you know, like maybe when I come around by Green Day, I want to figure out how to play that. Like I never did that. I figured out how to play guitar and write my own songs at the same time. And, you know, I wrote some really shitty songs, but I was writing my own songs. So I just kind of looked at it like that. Oh, totally. Totally. So, so you weren't playing guitar until you said after, after high school, what were you doing in high school? Were you in any band singing uh, were you kind of goofing off with your friends? Like, what what was going on musically for you when you were in high school? Musically, basically nothing. My very first uh, concert that I went to was Boys to Men, TLC, <laughs> and Montel Jordan. So, like, actual like going and watching a show, non-existent. Other than that, but I will tell you, Montel Jordan played "This Is How We Do It" first and last, and it was incredible. Oh, he opened and closed with oh, it. Oh, yeah. hell yeah, he did. He well, that's what you got to do when you're a one-hit wonder. I mean, yeah. Bloodhound Gang does the same thing. They do the, <laughs> yeah, do it like we do on the Discovery Channel. We played a festival with them. They opened with it, closed with it, and it also was a part of like an interlude in there somewhere. <laughs> I mean, I guess shake your moneymaker, you know what I mean? I guess that's what you got to do. But um, yeah, so like, like I said, I, I just grew up in such a tiny town that like, there were no like, I mean, you had to go to the mall to buy a, to buy a record. You know what I mean? Right. Like that was really the only thing that you could do. So it's entirely like I didn't have tiny record stores. Obviously, there was no like 
internet or anything growing up. I know that that's probably hard for some people to like grasp or whatever, but like, um, no, yeah. I think people definitely understand that. I mean, it's like, that's the classic thing where the only place to get a record is like in America, you know, for a long time was like Walmart for a yeah. lot of people. That was like where you had to go or target, you know, that was all there was, um, for a lot of people living in those areas and, and your access yeah, to sure. music was limited. I mean, now with the internet, it's all different. You know, but but when obviously when you were in high school, the internet and music and there was no digital music, you yeah. know, what didn't exist. So so you were limited. So so tell talk to me about then like you started finding out about these bands like Fat Records, Epitaph bands that probably weren't really in a lot of record stores that are hard to get their records. Um, talk to me about that, and then and then talk to me how you ended up forming a band eventually. Cool, um, definitely Green Day. Green Day, when when Dookie came out, it absolutely exploded. So you buy that record, and then you start digging a little deeper. So you got Green Day, and then you definitely have the Offspring Smash. Mm-hmm. Um, That's right. And you open those records up, and you look in the liner notes, and you see bands like No Effects, Good Riddance, Lagwagon, and you're like, who the fuck are these bands? Rancid. You're like. Well, yeah, ran- why, are, why are they thanking these bands? Who are these bands? Now, granted, everybody on the West Coast knows exactly who these bands are. You know, these are not small bands by any means, but to the, like, the small towns and to areas that are not, like, inhabited by that culture, like, we have no idea. So you just right. start thumbing through, and then, lo and behold, I go to go to the record store in my mall, which I think was... At the time, I think it was either National Record Mart or <laughs> Record Town. There was no FYE in my area yet. but um, And I found the Fat Record compilation, Fat Music for Fat People. And it, yeah, I remember it. It blew the doors off, my friend. And that is when the gateway to punk rock was opened and never shut. Um, so, yeah, so you get that and you like... It's like, holy hell, this is like a whole album of all of these bands. Like, yep. And then you start digging and you start buying those records and then you start special ordering stuff through the record store and saying, hey, where's this high standard record that's on this? Can you get that? Yeah, we'll get it for you. You know, But nobody knows who they are here, so we don't carry it. So I'm like, well, I want it, so get it. Um, you know, so you just start digging through and stuff like that, which is... I guess that's pretty much what people do on YouTube now, maybe. You know, like you start looking for, you watch one video and then you see like like, like-minded like artists or something like that or like on Spotify. Yeah, um, totally, totally. Yeah, so it's just, you know, like a more, I guess, analog way to do it. And um, yeah, so you start learning about that stuff. But also I, I kind of feel like this is during the time period that like punk rock kind of really exploded because the these like landmark albums came out, you know, Dookie and Smash and uh, Alcom the Wolves and and stuff like that. So you got to dig a little bit deeper, and that's when that's that's when you found uh, everything like that. And and then a little bit later, you know, you got Scott kind of broke with the, like the Boss right. Tones and like yep, stuff yep. like that. Real, Real big, big fish. fish, yeah. Yep. Uh, Suicide Machines, which are on the Warp Tour this year. I know. Uh, which, so which I'm yeah, which I'm stoked about, but um. Yeah, so like, like we talked about the other day, um, we were both at a No Effects show, and like, 
in Cleveland, Ohio, of all places. And like I that know. was that was one that, of the isn't first that crazy? Like, punk. Hell like, yeah, dude. That's nineteen ninety eight. Nineteen ninety eight. Yeah, for the people that don't understand, we were just talking about this because JT and I were on tour uh, doing some some solo stuff together, and yeah, we realized we were at the same no effect show in Cleveland in 1998. We didn't know each other, but we're both teenagers at a punk show in, in randomly in Cleveland. Like how weird is that? That's dude. That's the, when I was listening to that, I was like, Holy shit. I was at that show. I was from West Virginia. You were from Toronto, Canada. I'm like, how yeah. is this even possible that we are in the same room, you know, in 1998 at a no effect show. Cause if you listen to like both of our bands, <laughs> like you're you're not like man i bet those guys were at no effect shows you know like that's the first thing that people think they think those bands probably don't listen to anything like that but don't judge a book by its cover no no and that's why the, well that's part of why these podcasts are so interesting but you know what i'm trying to get to the bottom of right now with with how i'm talking to you is like you're talking about how you're so into punk and all this stuff but like were you in any punk bands because i i, I kind of feel like your first band was basically Hawthorne Heights or like a, you know, a, a early version of, of Hawthorne Heights with a different name. Yeah. Well, my first band, um, we were called late start and it was because we were all in college instead of forming like garage bands as like, you know, right. 15, 16 year olds. Um, so we sounded more like, like pop punk and with a little bit of like the punk beat and stuff like that. So, yeah. um, I did have that that type of band, uh, but you know it it probably lasted like a year or something like that, maybe a year and a half. And like people go their separate ways. And a, a couple of us, one of my, the drummer that was in that band, actually moved to Troy, Ohio, which is where I, I still live now. And that is how I got into an actual music scene. So like Dayton, Ohio, which it, Troy is just a suburb of Dayton, Ohio. Dayton, Ohio is where the breeders are from, um, who also are, you know, one of the members is in the Pixies um, and Guided by Voices. And like, you know, at that time, it had a pretty good, like, well-known kind of alternative scene. And uh, my friend was moving up here to work at a newspaper. So I was like, hell, I'll just go with you because there's nothing happening musically down here. And this is kind of what I want to do. So I'm going to go on a hope and a prayer, uh, just on a whim and just move to some strange city in the Midwest and just try to cut my own path. Uh, trying to meet new people, playing new bands and stuff like that. And like, it seems insane. I still think it's insane that I did that. Like I just saw my family in West Virginia this weekend and they were like, I can't believe that you still live there and you still play music. And it, it is incredible right. to us that like, <laughs> that, that the thing that we laughed at, like, whatever, 17 years ago, you're still doing. So literally the joke is on us, and we are proud of you. And I was like, thanks, man. Uh, trust me. I, <laughs> I, I guess. Still, yeah. yeah. I was like, I still think it's funny uh, because it is the most un, like, impossible story almost. I don't know. It's like the pursuit of happiness, but... Uh, yeah, well, Ohio is a random is a pretty random place to go to try to be a musician too. <laughs> exactly. That I is mean, the, like that's think, the joke. That is the joke within itself that I had to I move mean, to Dayton, Ohio, to find music. <laughs> uh, she's like, I mean, 
just in the Midwest, I mean, there's, you know, Chicago, <laughs> like, there's, you know, and then that's like, and, and I mean, of course, New York, Los Angeles, <laughs> Seattle. I mean, there's a million places that are more suited. Boston, I don't know, but hey, whatever. Uh, Dayton, Ohio worked out for you. So congratulations. <laughs> no way. I'm telling you, everybody should have been moving to Dayton, man. I'm telling you, that's the place. <laughs> everybody had it wrong. Um, okay, so so how did it happen then? How did you form, you know, what, what happened then? What was next? Okay, so when I moved up here, uh, I would say a life-changing moment for me and a music-changing moment for me is during all of this, the best thing about being from a small town and not really knowing anything about separated music scenes uh, you know how like punk, there's punk kids and there's hardcore kids and there's like right. everything is a little bit separated. Um, it wasn't like that. It was like you either listen to mainstream or you listen to the underground where I was mm-hmm. from. So uh, one thing that was super cool is when we were playing those shows and everything, like my band that was kind of uh, a little bit of a punk rock band, a little bit of a pop punk band could play with a straight hardcore band or a straight like metal band and it was totally normal so same was in my like, area growing up too yeah which was so cool and yeah. i still think that that's cool when you see a really diverse lineup and like it's drawing from a bunch of different people and i think that that is actually what this underground music scene is meant for i don't think it's meant for totally five pop punk bands on one tour and then another five metalcore bands on another tour i think it's cool when everybody's kind of hanging out and playing together and doing that thing i guess maybe because that's how i grew up doing it and i like all kinds of underground music it was like you either like like i said you either like the shit that's on the radio or you were rebelling against the shit that was on the radio we were all rebelling so um i still think it's kind of like that i mean like i think of of the people that you know listen to this show and you know i have we have the community there with the the all access club you know and i'm always on there talking to people and most people are pretty in tune with with every everyone that's on the show you know what i mean like whether yeah, it's a metal band a punk band uh, a hardcore band whatever most people kind of know what's going on and they and they enjoy all different kinds of music and that's how i am too yeah, so, that's awesome. I really agree. I don't think it's changed as much, but I do know what you mean about, about tour packages being like, oh, no, no, this band's too heavy. And it's like, well, when I was growing up, fuck it. Who cares? I like metal. I like punk. Like, why not? Why wouldn't I want to see that in the same night? Yeah, I think good is good. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that's just kind of like, I, I'd love to. I, like one of my first great shows that I went to that was totally in the underground scene was, um, and this this was a life changing moment for me. It was uh, Snapcase, yeah, uh, a band called Ensign. Yeah, and, I remember Ensign. Uh, still, actually, they're still they're still playing shows. Yeah, I think they still do. Uh, Saves the day, and somebody yeah. else. And I was like, damn. This is incredible. All these bands sound totally different, but it, it is it's wonderful. Uh, but let me tell you about one I saw in Toronto. I, I interrupted you, but I have to tell you another uh, no, one. No worries, man. Bring it, bring it. This was Hot Water Music, Buried Alive, Elliot, and this band Jersey. Maybe you never heard of, but they're from uh, they're from uh, uh, Toronto. Yeah, think, well, think about that. Though. That's incredible. Elliot, Elliot, and then buried alive, and then hot water <laughs> yes. music. But you, you're you're talking about 
all these bands that are like incredible in their own right and they all sound entirely different like completely different you're getting like the the best of every world on one show how is that not incredible right i i'm, I'm with you man so uh but yeah you know like i went to that show to see snapcase because one of my friends was a big snapcase fan and I saw Saves the Day for the first time, and I was like, holy shit, stop everything else. This, yeah. is, this is what it's about. Because, you know, it was the first time I'd heard something that had the pop-punk element, but also had the hardcore element, and then a guy that was singing with really, I guess, emotional lyrics. Um, and, like, that was just it for me. That was like, yeah. when, I, when I saw that, I was like, man. I don't know that it's going to get better than this. I got to find everything out about this band. And uh, so Saves the Day was a truly genre breaking band for me as a musician and me as a singer. Um, I I 100% say that that is like listening to those records and like hearing those lyrics and hearing, you know, the vocal performances and, and, the phrasings and everything like that from Chris Conley, I think that had a major impact on what I wanted to do as a songwriter, as a musician, and as a vocalist. And that kind of steered us uh, into becoming more like Hawthorne Heights, becoming more like what we sound like. So um, that's, at least that's my take on it anyway. But that's, you know, I, I heard that about a year probably a year before I met the guys that would eventually be Hawthorne Heights. Um, so talk to me about that. So you met the guys, you formed the band. Um, how did that happen originally? I know you were originally called A Day in the Life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we, was the original name of the band. So, so walk me through just kind of how you guys met and started playing and then what happened. Cool. So we were all in the same music scene and playing the same like VFWs and rental halls and stuff like that. And then after the show, you always go to like Waffle House or Denny's or something like that. So we all became really good friends. And uh, that was another thing that kind of formed our bonds. You know, like we're like, I'm not really hanging out with two of the dudes in this band. I'm always hanging out with the guys in the the other bands. And then when a guy quits, well, I want to try and get that guy because that guy, that guy is not only an awesome, whatever, let's use Matt for an example, an awesome bass player, but he's also like a guy that I like can hang out with and talk to and stuff. So like, it was, you know, like eventually all the serious musicians who wanted to play this style of music, we all kind of ended up in the same band. And, um, in the summer we were like, Hey, let's give this an actual shot. Now we'll get rid of all the, a day in the life songs. We'll change our name. And, uh, we'll give it a a legitimate shot. You know, we'll record some songs. We'll send to record labels. We'll try and do that thing, whatever that thing is. And, uh, that was the, the summer of, let's see, that would have been the summer of 2002 or 2003. Sorry. Um, yep. And then we sent, uh, you know, sent those songs to a bunch of labels and, you know, ended up getting some offers and signed with Victory. And uh, what, did, why did you change your name? Why didn't you keep a day in the life? We didn't keep it because it was like we had so many different member changes when we were cycling people in and out 
that like it just didn't feel like the same band anymore because it was pretty much okay. just me. So right. that was really the only reason. It wasn't because we hated the name. Uh, we, it was our favorite Beatles song. The guys that were in the band at this at the same time, that was our favorite Beatles song. So we didn't have mm-hmm. like this emotional attachment to it. It was just a name that was fun. Right, right, right. Yeah. So so you, you guys you just mentioned that you got some some um offers, Victory obviously being one of them. Uh yeah. what other labels did you get offers from? We had um I don't remember if we ever actually got a, a uh an offer in writing or whatever. Uh but drive through was interested. Um, we, we definitely had a couple conversations with that. And, um, did they make you send like headshots and, and, or anything weird? Nah, we just, we sent all that shit anyway. Like just, you know, we, we had a pretty, pretty, I guess, professional looking press kit. Um, our drummer Aaron, our drummer Aaron was working at Time Warner Cable at the time now known as Spectrum. But, uh, so he had access to like, you know, all the latest and greatest, uh, you know, copiers and shit like that. So, like, we, we, we you know we got we got hooked up from corporate America, man. Um, there you go. Yeah. So, and then uh, I believe Lobster Records was interested, and you know they put out a couple of cool things at that time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, but like when we Mock started, Orange wasn't Mock Orange the Lobster Records band? I think they were, and I think did they put they out? They either band. put out. They either put out like over it or yellow card or somebody's first or second album something like that something like that you're right yeah they had some cool stuff and um so you know we were excited that anybody even contacted us back um but victory was high on the list because they they were putting out great records that we liked you know they you know earth crisis was has always been one of my favorite bands um snapcase uh you know, and this is right around the time that like those Thursday and Take Mac Sunday records came out that were that were pretty, yep. pretty game game changing. They at were the getting time. big, yeah. Yeah, yep. so totally. like, so we were stoked, you know, to even have any interest, and also, you know, it's the label in the Midwest, that sort of easy. Um, so yeah, so that kind of progressed quickly, and uh, you know, we went up and had a showcase, and everything went well. We didn't think everything went well because well those showcases were like I, we never did a one for victory like we we um Tony came uh, Tony the, the Tony Brummel the owner president of Victory came up to Toronto and watched us play like at an actual show but I heard oh, that man. some of the that some of the Victory showcases like they they just like some people even played in the office like how did your showcase work dude it was first of all the most nerve wracking thing in the world to do anything like that for like. It's like the worst job interview ever um, for, for, for all you listeners out there that aren't necessarily musicians, but you've had to go through that job interview with like the company that you really want to work for and you really hope you get it. And like you get there and you're just not vibing whatsoever. So like you guys got to play a show. We, we got to play for literally just the staff in a dark rental hall like rental space rehearsal studio type space in the in the freezing cold like i don't think my guitar was ever in tune when we were playing that showcase and i'm like you know it's pitch black it's just stage lights and then pitch black so we can't see their reactions they're not clapping (laughs) you know like we're playing five songs and like 
I just remember thinking afterwards, I'm like, dudes, we just fucking blew it, man. We had the actual opportunity and we sucked. And I think I still think we sucked. I really, I really do. Like I think. Well, that, you, you know, to be fair, you probably did suck. Yeah, I, I just think <laughs> that it's, it was just. I don't know whether the moment was too big or maybe we weren't good or something like that. But like, you know, I, just, I wonder. I felt I wonder terrible. If, I wonder if part of it um, is like they put you in a very uncomfortable situation where, and they they don't clap and they kind of make you feel like you're not good enough. So that then when they're when they're finally like okay here's a contract, you're just like okay sure whatever we'll sign it like you just feel lucky <laughs> lucky just to get the contract. So like what how many albums uh, what sign our life away for no money okay sure we'll just do well, it. I think that anybody who has never seen a record contract doesn't know anything to begin with. So um, <laughs> you know what True. I mean like that it, it could have been like anything and it would have been like well it's a leap of faith regardless so if you guys want to do this we should do it but i just remember that drive home man that was a quiet fucking five hours home that's what that was (laughs) and i remember like maybe three hours in thinking i was the first one to say something and i was like guys that fucking sucked (laughs) and then somebody i forget i think aaron was like yeah i have no idea what we just did and I just remember thinking, well, at least we had the opportunity, but this is probably going to haunt me for a while. Right. But luckily, it wasn't as bad as we thought. Um, but, you know, we got to talk to the staff a little bit afterwards. And I think that we made our presence known in that, mm-hmm. like, being personable, because we are personable people. And it was like, hey, you know, thank you very much for having us up here. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Let us know if you need anything. Very nice to meet you guys. You know, it's very jovial and very cordial and kind. And uh, it was just a weird scenario because there wasn't anybody there to, like, feed off of energy-wise. No, it was no. It was, like, just weird. But uh, I just but remember... Get... Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, go ahead. I was just going to say, I just remember, like, leading up to that, we had about two, I think, a week's notice or two weeks' notice, and I just remember sitting everybody down and saying, hey, guys, this could be a big moment for us, but we, I don't want you to tell anybody that we're going up to do this. I don't want anybody talking about this. I just want to concentrate and do our best. And if something happens, cool, but if not, I don't want anybody putting unneeded pressure on us and thinking that we're failures if this doesn't happen. Right. I just, sure, I just, sure. I just want, I just want to be able to go up and, and play with you guys and, and let's have fun. Uh, and even though that's a tall order, because you know it's just it's it's hard to have fun in a in a dark room full of people that are just listening to you and critiquing you. But um, so we we got back, and you know at that time that was the busiest I'd ever been in my whole life to that moment. I was working at a convenience store 40 hours a week as an assistant manager from from 4.30 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then I would leave that job to go deliver pizzas for four hours. And then <laughs> I was going to college at the same time. So That's an unreal. Yeah, so I went back to delivering pizzas the next day um, and, like, just thinking, my God, I don't want to do this anymore, and I'd probably just lost my opportunity to do this, uh, to like be a musician uh, for real. But 
later that night, I was in the, I'll never forget this. I was in the middle of a delivery and, uh, our drummer, Aaron called us, called me and said, Hey, what are you doing? And I said, dude, I'm in the middle of a delivery, literally delivering a pizza right now. And he was like, well, we just got our contract. And like, I pulled over and started crying. That's how important that moment was. And like, wow. it's, you know, it's still just a huge, a huge memory for me that like somebody wanted to sign my band after doing all this hard work and everything. And, uh, and I still, it's still, you know, it's a super fond memory for me. It's like, yeah, we, absolutely. we all met up like when I got off work at about 10 PM, we all met up and said, Hey, what's the plan guys? We got it. What is the plan? Right. You know, everybody met with their girlfriends and everything. And we're like, Hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to give this a shot. And they were all like blown away. They were all like, Holy shit. This doesn't happen to people. Everybody right. was and like, it- like super like excited. It wasn't like one of the things that fueled us, I think is we didn't have that one, uh, girlfriend or family member that was like you'll never make it you shouldn't do this everybody was like go for it do perfect everything that you can that's amazing you had that support i mean the other thing too is at this time it was victory it was like yeah you know I, i think of it as as you know 2003 like probably late 2003 so you know we'd already put out our record so that was like yeah taking back sunday was blowing up thursday was already huge atreyu was a big band um, it seemed like like they were the biggest. They were just the biggest label going. So to be able to yeah. be that band, um, you know, it was you knew you were going to be be doing big things. So yeah, that's a, yeah, yeah. that's huge. And I have the same. I mean, I think any anyone listening to this that's been in a band that's ever signed a deal has you know everyone remembers the story, you know, of when it happened. Um, yeah, and that, that is. Absolutely. Thanks for sharing that because because that is a that is a cool memory. So I mean, obviously. Uh, you know, we don't have to get into all these specifics, but you know, you guys went out and you recorded a, you wrote and recorded a record and you put it out and you went on tour with us yeah. and, um, we were forced to put you on our tour. <laughs> we, we didn't want to take you guys. I mean, and, it, and and it was you nothing should personal. not have taken us. You should not have wanted to take us. Well, we you were, were an un- completely knew unknown we band. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, you weren't, you were, were worth literally zero tickets. And, Less um, than zero, <laughs> and uh, we didn't want to take you, but we did. And I'll never forget when we were in—I remember we were in Nashville, Tennessee—and your record came out, the the silence of in black and white. And um, you guys were excited. We were at the, the like the—is it Franklin Mills Mall or something? The big, huge mall in, in Nashville. Yeah, yeah. And yep. you guys were were going to all the stores record stores trying to find your record and you were having trouble finding it. And, yeah. you, and, and I said to you, I remember I said to you, or I think I, maybe Casey, I said, um, you know, uh, the same thing happened to us, victory. You know, they say they'll, they'll distribute the records, but the records aren't in stores. But the reason you couldn't find your record is because they were pretty much sold out. And a week later we found out that you guys had the biggest victory records debut ever. Yeah, it was, dude, mind-blowing. You know, like, totally mind-blowing. We're like, I have no idea what... I, don't, I can't even process this information. We're we're too busy having fun on this tour with you guys because you guys are drawing, you know, like, I don't know if this was one of your... Was this your first, like, 
true it was headliner. our first real exactly it was our first uh, real headline okay tour, yeah. but yeah you guys were you were doing extremely well um which was great for us because you guys did all the work and <laughs> you were forced to take us on the tour all we had to do was show up and hopefully put on a decent show and like at least people would see it um which is the hardest thing in the world is to to be able to get that spot yep. um and be able to play in front of the people um so but you, know, you guys were a good live band right away i mean you were always you've always been a good singer live you always could you know your pitch is always good and i think right away that that was a thing that set you guys apart is right away it was like right out of the gate you guys you guys were a pretty good band but it's funny you know you, you know you say that we did the work for you there definitely was a little bit of jealousy on our part for sure when your band came out of the gate and was setting victory records records and um, you know, and, and you getting all this attention and stuff. We were like, oh, so basically, all the mistakes they made with our band last year, they fixed, and now Hawthorne Heights is going to be huge. And, and like, I don't think it's that incorrect. That's there are a lot of ways that really is what happened. Yeah, I mean, I can only speak to what happened um, for us. Sure, of course. It, I. We just from day one, we have understood how big that tour was and how you got because, you know, now we know so much that like we know that you absolutely should not have wanted to take us on that tour. We know that that's just not the way that it works. And we also know that like um, there was very little that we could do to like to do anything for you at that time period. And like in and like selling those that many records first week or whatever like was never it was beyond our wildest dreams and like we're just trying to like take it all in and not not look like assholes you know what i mean because we're not like we're not like trying to i don't know it's just it's weird it's it was it was hard to triangulate in our head and um well it it happened so fast i mean your success happened so fast before i knew it you guys ha- were getting plaques for selling gold and then quickly platinum records. And it was like, what? How did this happen so fast? There's like, there's some songs on the radio, but that wasn't even, it wasn't even huge on the radio. It was just like, there was yeah. all these things happening. You guys were doing tours, but it wasn't like you were getting the best tours. You were still doing tours with like bands like Mest and, um, you know, like, yeah. like, like not, you weren't getting the, the Taking Back Sunday tour. Um, or the used tour or the dashboard confessional tour, right? Like you guys never got those kind of tours. Yeah, we never got those type of tours. Uh, and I don't know why, but I would say like we kind of did mess. Our, our trajectory is a little bit interesting because we did your tour, which was an incredible tour for us. And uh, we took that and went to the mess tour. And we took that tour because we wanted to be out of the music scene to play to somebody else's fans just for a tour to see what it was like to try and grow in a different way. And um, and it worked because we were able to convert Mest fans to our fans. And uh, except you know, it seemed I, like it seemed like at that time though everybody was just going to see you guys anyways. You know what I, I, I mean? Think, I think that we definitely drew on the tour for sure, but like there were people that like we weren't mainstream or anything, and Mest fans were were like mainstream fans. 
they yeah. were like MTV fans and like radio fans and stuff like that. So you know how that is kind of similar story to like how I was growing up. I didn't even know that this stuff existed. And like, then you get, sure, a, you get us up on stage that come from the same scene as you guys. And we all move around and we're all like, you know, screaming our hearts out and stuff like that. And most of these kids have never seen anything like that. So we probably look like the Dillinger escape plan to them. You know what I mean? And like, we're obviously not heavy or anything like that, but we look like uh, just right, of course, just different. We we stood out, but so we took that tour and immediately got offered the uh, Sum Forty One tour, probably because it was a similar market or something like that. We we're like, hell yeah, we love Sum Forty One. This is going to be killer. Um, so we did that. All killer, of, no filler. Hell yeah. So we kind of <laughs> stayed in that scene for a minute, um, but winning people over that had no idea about what the music is that we do. So right, I, don't, right. I don't know whether we were gaining certain types of fans and maybe alienate, alienating the music scene that we grew up in, or if it just kind of worked out in a different way. I really have no idea, but we did Warp Tour right after that. And like, I just remember we were, this was 05. So mm-hmm. it, 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 like we were saying, all this stuff just is a blur. It happens quickly. But I just remember... Warp Tour 05, which you guys were on that one too, weren't you? Yes, we were in most of it, yeah. Yeah. Um, it started in Columbus, Ohio, which is the dream for us because we live an hour from there. So I'm like, yeah, man, this is great. So we were driving down, and we, this is the first time that we got our own tour bus, and we're heading down on Interstate 75, getting ready to hit Columbus, and you know, Victory calls us and goes, hey, your record just went gold. And we're like, what? <laughs> and like, you know, we wow. had no idea that that was even possible or anything. And like, you know, it's just crazy. It's, I still think regrets? it's crazy. One of the reasons I enjoy doing this podcast so much is that I get to bring brand new music, great music, right into your ear holes. And today I've got something super new and awesome. A brand new band called Best Case. Super, super new. Hailing from Atlanta, Best Case could best be described as blending emo, pop punk, and alternative with a touch of nostalgia, but of course, I'm going to let you decide. Here is a clip from their debut single, Heavy Seas. Could compete with the disease, some moments that you lost and gained were a bitter pill, but you, you ingested the pain. There it is. Great stuff. And check out the very emotional video for the song on YouTube as well. The whole album is out July 12th. Make sure you follow the band on whatever streaming service you use as well because you do not want to miss it. It's produced by Zach Odom and Kenneth Mount, Mayday Parade and Cartel. And the band also features drummer Ben Cato, known for his work in his previous band, The Dangerous Summer. We love them around here. So go check out Best Case. It's brand new. You heard it here first. And thank me later. Head over to bestcase.band for links to everything 
or simply search for Best Case wherever you get your music. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Do you have regrets from that era? Like, in, in just in terms of anything, like, in terms of who your managers were, in terms of what kinds of things you were doing... Um, at the time, like, you know, you, you weren't really much of an image band, you know what I mean? You guys are still dressing, dressing and acting the same way you did when you were, you know, kids eating at a waffle house after a show. Yeah. We just look back at, yeah. Yeah. Do you ever look back at that and go, Hmm, maybe we should have been a little more self-aware of those things or something. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think about stuff like that and I think, I don't think regrets because like, I don't think you, I don't believe in regrets. There's just nothing you can do about it, but Right. I like I like to recognize mistakes that you could have possibly made because I think that's healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I think it was a tall order for everybody that we worked with because our band was growing at a at a weird exponential rate and like we're at, you know, just like you would be asking questions like how come we don't get this and we're not getting that? but we are getting this and we are getting that. So like what, like for managers, for example, example, it's like, what exactly is it that you do? You always ask that question. Like if our booking, what would you say you do here? (laughs) Exactly. Like our booking agent is getting us great tours. Uh, Our label is like promoting the hell out of us. What exactly is it that you do? Um, and, you know, and then you couple our lack of experience. It wasn't like our, you know, when it's your fourth record and it finally happens, you know how to handle it. When it's your first record, you're learning on the fly. No more, of no course. less. Of um, course. Yeah, so, like, I would say that there are certain things that we we could have done better, definitely. I would say that my, if I had a true regret, it would be, we didn't have time, and I'm sure you feel the same way, to, like, as they say, to stop and smell the roses. To, like, take, to just, you take the small things that are wonderful for granted. You know what right. I mean? Like, you're like, and we didn't have cell phones with cameras, for God's sakes. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I feel like everybody else, like, everybody's from this era is having these wonderful pictures. They're f- playing in front of all these people they you know are going to have these memories and we weren't right. able to we weren't able to do that in the early part of our career but you know that's all just small stuff but well yeah, getting you know. this getting the success this success so early and then trying to hold on to it was difficult too for you guys i mean your second record didn't do as well as your first um it was by no means a flop i mean that record is still a, a, you know a big record um but it, it did go down a little bit um and talk to me a little bit about when that happened, when the second record came out, when it wasn't quite, you know, uh, the bar had been set so high already. 
Um, talk to me about how the second record went and, and, and you know, where your career trajectory kind of started to taper off a little bit. Yeah. Um, so If Only You Were Lonely, our second record, it's crazy because we went from, we didn't have any time to like do anything just like I'm sure early on you guys had to like, okay, well now you got to go make another record. When are we going to do that? We're touring nonstop. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went from Warped Tour 2005 to like just a couple quick writing sessions and then we're back in the studio in like September. So it's like, damn dudes. Um, but, you know, we, we're happy with the album and happy with how it came out, but like, we it was just set, everything's such a blur from that moment that you're just trying to keep up and like um but you know we we debuted at number three and i think we sold like 150 something thousand records which in today's standards is like is a billion it is a billion um <laughs> but like and it it was cool so like i think we came out of the gate really strong um i think our songs were being played um, you are starting to teeter a little bit on like people are stop. They're not buying as much music because people are like, this is kind of heavily into the downloading, the illegal downloading section yeah, as yeah. well. So we don't have any like pre like any regrets as far as like sales for that record, because you know, it's still sold. It still went gold. Um, which to have a gold and to have two gold records in a row, that's like, to me, it, even if it's less than the first, that's, I, I never thought that I would sell one record, let alone, you know, 500,000 to two. So I'm in, eternally stoked for that. But, um, it just get, it gets harder to like keep maxing yourself out because you don't know that you can get every single person who bought the last record to buy it. And like, if you're not growing at the same rate or turning on new people, how do you even do that? So that's just that's kind of how I look at it. Like, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and the first record was kind of such a surprise hit that like everybody would kind of buy that because hey, I've been hearing about this. Hey, I've been hearing about this. Well, later on, people are like, oh, well, I know about that. You know what I mean? Like, so like I can. I can get this or my friend already has it, like stuff like that kind of, and I'm sure you guys probably had to deal with that too. That like, well, did you feel like, did you feel like the the blowing up so much and and almost like, you know, we talked earlier about, well, either you listen to mainstream or you listen to underground. Yeah. Did you ever feel like because you guys had sold so many records so fast that all of a sudden you guys weren't like the cool band anymore? You were, you weren't underground. Oh, now you were mainstream and do you yeah. think that that sort of hurt kind of hurt your cool factor and kind of hurt you know just 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 people because you know you know what i'm trying to say like yeah yeah sure i think it absolutely i don't know that it did but i think it could have so mm-hmm. like i think that that is something that that you have to think about um for sure like maybe we got too big and maybe people saw too much of us you know anything like that like maybe we toured too much maybe we didn't have enough time to do this or didn't have enough time to do that and like that's just the way the ball bounces you can either i mean to our credit we could say no to things and for the most part we didn't you know what i mean like you you could turn down tours and you could sit at home but like if you like the tour 
you're going to tour and if you don't know when that opportunity is going to come again and stuff like that. So like, yeah, um, I think, I think I can count the amount of tours Silverstein's turned down on one hand. <laughs> exactly. So. You're like, as a musician, you're taught to spin your wheels because you That's don't know, right. you don't know when it's going to, when it's going to come next or anything like that. So I think you got a little bit of that. And like, yeah, I think, I think all of us in the underground scene need needed to take more breaks than we did. Um, just because like, I just think that it's a, it's healthy for you, but B it's also healthy for the fans, you know? Um, and we never really got to do that or anything. So, well, I mean, then, you know, you guys, you know, some things start to wane a little bit. Um, obviously there was the lawsuit with victory. Um, and then Casey passes away very dark time in your life, in your band's career. Um, what was going on in your head at that moment? I mean, you guys, you're still here. You know, you, Hawthorne Heights is going to be on the entire Warp Tour this year. You're doing, you have a couple solo records out. You're still doing it. At that time when that happened, did you think you were going to get through it and still be here on the other side? Um, kind of what was going through your head at that point? Because that must have been just, I mean, it was hard for me. And I was across the world when I found out about Casey. Um, so, yeah, just walk me through that moment if you don't mind. Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's just such it's it's a tough time and it's like so I don't know, it's so like that thing you do the movie or like behind the music. It's just such a big moment that like you don't think anything like that is ever going to happen to you and all of a sudden it does. And you're you're having to not think about your career you're thinking about the loss of your you know your best friend uh that absolutely comes out of nowhere it wasn't like you know like i i think you know something might happen here it was like literally out of nowhere we were at the 930 club in in uh dc yeah and we uh we're all on stage ready for sound check it's probably maybe 2 p.m., maybe 3 p.m. or something like that. And, like, we were all up really late the night before. Uh, I went to bed first because I was extremely sick to the point where Matt from Amber Pacific had to help me sing Ohio at the uh, at De- Detroit the night before. And, like, I, I'm pretty sure he sang it in the wrong key. Uh, we got to look for footage of that. But um, <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was ridiculous. But... His heart was in the right place. He knew that I was struggling. He came up and helped out, and I, I always appreciated that from him. But uh, so I was super sick, and uh, you know, told everybody good night, went to bed, and but they were all up kind of late. Like I think they were playing Halo or something. I don't remember, but um, and like so, we go into sound check, and like we're all getting ready, and then our tour manager comes in and it's like, Hey, we, we need you out here right now. And, you know, we go out there and it's like a ton of bricks, you know, like he unfortunately passed away in his sleep and it was in his bunk and it was, you know, nothing that anybody could have foresaw coming or anything like that. You know, it's just a reaction with a reaction with some, uh, pain medicine that he was prescribed for a root canal and uh, an antidepressant that he was, you know, prescribed to take 
and like yeah. they they mixed and that that was it and uh you know you just you're standing there and like you're kind of floating outside of yourself you know what i mean like you're you're there yeah. but you're not really there and like so i just remember we had to stay there the night because we somebody had to once they um took him away somebody had to stay there the next day to come down to the uh coroner and identify the body and like we all went there as a band to do that and that's like that's a moment that like you'll remember for the rest of your life because it's so strange um yeah but like yeah it's just it's absolutely absolutely crazy and just such a sad story because it's such a, an amazing human being gone too early. But like, so on the way home, you know, that's a long, sad 10 hour bus ride from DC to Dayton, Ohio. And like all of our family are like, they're waiting for us to get home because they know. And it's like, I just remember, uh, getting in the car and my daughter was, she would have been like, I don't know, maybe six months old at the time or something like that. Right. And uh, yeah. my wife picks me up and I just remember I immediately got in the, in the car and just started crying. And that was the first time that I like was able to really like let go. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because uh, everything else up to that moment was so like you you're just numb Surreal. Yeah, yeah you're just like yeah. there's no way this happened and then like when we got back home and i got in the got in the car with my wife and my daughter like it just and i probably and i lived at that point i was living in cincinnati so we had about an hour drive and i don't think i stopped um uh, and like yeah it was just it, it's such a it's such a tough thing and like I don't mind talking about it because it is a real moment and it is part of not only our career, but it's part of my life and part of all of our lives. And like our fans have always been so supportive and like, you know, they ask these questions too. The decision to never, to not replace Casey, you know, was, was a big decision too. You know what I mean? You kind of, you kind of made it seem like he would always be, you know, your, your fifth member. And, yeah. you know, and if, and it was, I remember you put a thing on the website saying, you know, if, if kids want to hear the screaming, you know, if the kids want the screaming, they're going to have to do it themselves kind of thing. Um, you know, and, and it was, it was just a really like, it was a really heavy way to do it. And it was like to, to move on with Casey, but without Casey at the same time, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that was kind how of, long? Uh, yeah, go ahead. That was just kind of the way that we saw it as well. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a brutal thing, and yeah, I mean, I remember when we were in London, we were playing in London when uh, we found out about it, and we, I remember sitting with Josh, we we heard about it, and we we laughed because we didn't believe it. Yeah, sure. I mean, like, that's like, like we, we, that was our reaction. We we and I remember I still feel guilt uh, over that when I laughed when I heard because I just was like, that's that's not real, you know. And it yeah, was the weirdest, the weirdest realization and to be so far away from you guys and like, you know, not being able to do anything, you know, yeah, it's it just the weirdest, the weirdest feeling. Yeah. It's like, 
And, we, you know, and we, we appreciate it. We definitely appreciate the sentiment of, of friends, like, wanting to, like, be there and, like, just wanting to be together because of all that we've all, you know, hung out and went yeah. through and everything like that. And, like, definitely, yeah, it's just, uh, yeah, it's just crazy and it's just super tough. And, like, yeah, and, like, you're, since you know us as people and since you've been on the road with us, you're, it's unexpected for you guys, too, because it's not like, well, that guy was either sick or, you know, that guy, that band is kind of a train wreck. They kind of party a lot or like, you know what I mean? Like it wasn't one of those scenarios where like, you know, unfortunately I saw this coming, but like, I don't want to believe it. It wasn't one of those scenarios. So for you guys to be sitting in London to hear that, I totally understand the sentiment yeah. of like, that's not real, man. The Internet's fucking cruel. You know right, what I mean? Exactly. That's this. Just, well, it was the. it was I don't know if it was just that. Or if it was just we just weren't able to believe it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm, I'm yeah. not really sure. And again, it's the the moment is is fog. Well, it's not foggy. I can remember it. Like I can probably remember what I was wearing if I thought about it. But but like I could so vividly. But it's still it's just like you know it's it's also foggy at the same time. If that makes any sense. Yeah. I, but yes. um, I know how, exactly how long did you mean. guys? How long a break did you guys take before you started playing together again? And. <sighs> That's a good question, and like like I like I said, when all these memories blend together, it starts to get uh, it just gets a little fuzzy and foggy because you're just trying to keep up. And uh, which which I keep going back to: how do people do this and like do drugs and drink every night? Because I'm trying to keep all this shit straight. I don't do anything, and, and uh, all I know yeah. is that our first show back was Bamboozle Left. Um. And it was on the way to making our third record, Fragile Future. So I know that for a fact because we didn't know if we wanted to, like, play it again. You know what I mean? Like, right. we didn't know if we were ready to do it, but we just so happened to be um, had it, right, recording our record in California and we got the offer. And it was like, is this a good time to to maybe do this or like, you know, is this something we're ready for? Or like, and I don't know. I, it, I'm trying to find it on the internet. looks like it was April 6th, 2008 okay. is, is when it was. So, yeah. So, well, well, you guys were still on victory at this point and you guys had already had a pretty public feud with them. Um, yeah. You know, and obviously it's pretty well documented and anybody that listens to the show, I mean, we had Darkest Hour singer on here a few, what, a couple months ago maybe, and he was called Victory the worst label ever, Ver like verbatim, I'm quoting him, um, you know, and, and he made his grievances pretty public, And you, but you guys were really the first band to ever kind of come out and be like, hey, this label's fucking us over. Um, but then the, after the death of Casey, it kind of you guys kind of just agreed to, to kind of, kind of make another record together, didn't you? Yeah. I, I think that we, it put it, it put things into perspective that like, why are we arguing over dollars and cents and who, who, who did this and who's owed what? Like that, that became so inconsequential at that moment that like, we just, I think that we both decided that like, let's let's put out a record and then let's let's be done with this and both go our separate ways so like 
Right. Uh, you know, like, it's just thing that real life got in the way and, like, you know, all of the parties talked and it was like, hey, let's get in a room together and let's talk about this uh, logically and let's just work something out because we've lost, we've all lost a friend here. And like, you know, Casey was very important to like victory as well. You know, like he's like original member of the band. We all signed at the same time. He, you know, he had a very vibrant personality. So I, I can credit them for like, you know, taking a step back and being like, let's, we can all get through this one way or another. So like, you know what I mean? Like, not ev- that wouldn't happen to everybody. So, like, I, I think that we all just kind of agreed to, like, work through it. And it was one of those real-life moments that, like, cooler heads prevailed. We all got in a room and we all, you know, worked out something that we were all happy with. And, like, that's kind of like, you know, that's kind of it. You know, life yeah, kind of got, which life, is, real life happened. Which is, and Right, right, right. Which is pretty crazy. Um, do, you, do you still have any any dealing with Victor anymore? Do you talk to Tony at all, or has it been has it just been a lot of years? Uh, no, we we talked to Tony not that long ago. Just kind of checking in, seeing what's up, um, and like everything was cool, you know. Like okay, good. But you know, I don't I don't have any like I don't harbor any ill feelings towards anybody. I really try to live my life that way. But like yeah. You know, especially when it comes to business and stuff like that, like it doesn't get you anywhere. So, like the industry, no, right, can, right. the, the industry can kind of push and pull you and twist and turn you, and facts get. You know, you don't know what's true, what's facts. You don't know what numbers make sense, what adds up. You know, you really, <laughs> exactly. you, you know what I mean. Like you can hide behind roadblocks, or you can be looking at the exact truth in front of you, and they probably still both look like the same thing, and like. That yeah, just, right. you know, that moment gave us big perspective that, like, none of us are lawyers. Uh, we're musicians. <laughs> and yeah, we know. That's the problem. Yeah, and we just want to put out records, and we want to, like, you know, we just want to work hard on that. And, like, you know, one thing that I'll say is uh, Victory promoted the hell out of us um, during that all that in our career and everything, like they did for a lot of bands. And, like, yeah. You know, without that promotion and without that, like, moment of believing in us, like, none of this ever happens or anything like that. So I can say that emphatically. I don't have any, like, any hard feelings or anything like that. I don't want to get into, like, business and numbers because that is not my forte to begin with. Um, But, yeah, so I I think as far as I know, everything's cool. I don't, you know, I can just give you my my dealings and everything like that. So, like, yeah. Um, Totally. I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. It's been a very long talk, which which I appreciate, and it's been uh, it's been it's been a really great chat. But when you guys did the ten year tour for uh, the Silence of Black and White, um, the Silence in Black and White. I'm sorry. I know I know what the record's called. <laughs> um, was it really, really like? Just to put it into my perspective, when we did the, the Discovering the Waterfront ten year tour, I found it was very emotional. You know, yeah. and you're playing the song, and you know what song's coming next. Um, was it like? Was it difficult to look over to uh, stage left and not see Casey over there? Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? That's one of the reasons that we did the tour is for those memories. And like, we smiled the whole time. It wasn't like a because it can go one way or another. 
it can yeah. make you it can make you really sad and really like uh regretful and really sorrowful but for us it was like man i can still remember like looking over at him and like him spitting water at me while i'm just trying to do my job as the lead singer of the damn band <laughs> you know what i mean like that's that's one of the pe- one of the things that people don't realize about him that never got to like hang out with him and meet meet him is like he was such like a a lighthearted spirit that like you know how some people in bands are like so focused on looking professional and acting professional and being the rock guy <laughs> on stage like Casey was having the time of his life and uh like for better or for worse he was just he was always put a smile on my face and i would have to like yell at him every once in a while and be like dude i'm trying to like sing these parts and you're like fucking with me the whole time and i'm giggling and i'm the one who looks like the idiot you're just the guy over there playing guitar like messing with me and you're gonna mess me up and i'm gonna forget what i'm doing and and uh nobody wants that uh and he would still (laughs) he would still keep doing it um (laughs) <laughs> just because of the the way he was. One of my favorite Casey stories is we on the tour we did with with you guys in uh, 2005. Um, the one where where John Beats passed away, which is another very sad story. We won't get to today. Um, wow, it was a hard moment too. But we were playing um, at the Las Vegas House of Blues. Yeah. Which um, for anybody that's been there, it's in Mandalay Bay Casino Hotel in Las Vegas. So the show had wrapped up and a bunch of us from the tour, probably like 10 or 12 of us, we're all standing around like a craps table. So Casey comes down from the room because I guess you guys had a room in Mandalay Bay and he's wearing his pajamas and he's got like the duvet cover from the bed and he's got it wrapped around himself and he comes down to to see what we're doing. (laughs) And we're like, you know, gambling, drinking beers or whatever and Casey's all like tired and... Casey lays down like under the craps table and like just has like a little snooze and no one cares. Like the people at the casino, the pit boss and everything are just like, ah, oh, whatever. He's guy's harmless. It's fine. We'll let him, we'll let him sleep there. And he, he took a good like 10, 15 minute nap under the table while we were playing craps. Hell yeah. That is, that is like verbatim him. That right, is like, like it, he didn't stroll down there and like do that to create a ruckus. He was just like, "Hey, man, this is cool. Oh, I'm gonna go to bed." Uh, and, exactly. and that, you know, and that's the. He just, it was a little bit of FOMO. He just wanted to see what we were doing, and then he's like, <laughs> "Okay, I don't want to go all the way back upstairs. You know how far it is to get to your room from the casino." <laughs> Hell yeah! <laughs> uh, and you know, those those are the exact stories that like allow you to be able to like process it in a good way instead of processing it in a bad way. Um, for better or for worse, one of the, one of the hardest things is that like when somebody gets taken away from you so quickly like that is you didn't have like this six month blow up leading up to it. And then he's gone or anything. You know, like we have all these funny stories and then it's just, it goes away. So like in a way I can say that that's a good thing because everybody, has these wonderful memories and like we did the, the heartbreak, the, uh, I always tell everybody, you know, he, he constantly made us laugh every second of every day and he made us cry one time, you know? Mm-hmm. So like, that was just, that was him and that's his memory that, that we have. And uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so it's, you know, 
It's cool. I hope I hope this isn't I haven't listened to every single episode of all the eighties that you've done so far, but everyone that I've listened to I've liked. But I I hope that this isn't the saddest one. You're gonna have to get somebody well, else on <laughs> on here that that is not uh that is sadder than this, so I can have some comparison. I don't know. Maybe this might be the saddest one. I don't know. I, I have to it's it's hard to remember eighty of them just you know, off the top of my head, but but no, it's it's been it's been a great chat and it's good to catch up with you. And it, I had a lot of fun doing those shows with you out uh, out on the West Coast too. That was great doing yeah. those solo shows. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I appreciate you uh, you having me out. And and like Absolutely, I said, um, those solo shows that you did are like very uh, impressive to me, and they're very ambitious because you were really. You were put, you were putting on a great set and singing for probably about an hour and a half. Great selection of songs and like you were going for it. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy and it. And I just and I appreciate that. You know, like I, I was yes, yelling, I was yelling at my band and saying, "Hey, I'm out here with Shane. We're having a hell of a time. He's playing an hour and a half, and you guys are complaining when we're headlining, playing like an hour and ten minutes." And I'm like, <laughs> "He's crushing you guys. So you guys need to step up your game." Um, but yeah, it was, it was such a blast and like, uh, you know, I always appreciate it. Um, and we're going to have fun this summer, right? Not, are, everything's, are, not, yeah. not everything is, not everything is all a bum out or anything like no, that. No, 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 no. Um, so, so speaking of Hawthorne Heights, you guys are on the entire warp tour, yep. um, which is going to be awesome for you guys. Going to really love seeing you every day. Um, what else is going on after that? Is there anything else you can talk about? Um, future plans for either either Hawthorne or your solo stuff. Yeah, sure. We uh, we actually just released a brand new song today called "Push Me Away," and okay, uh, cool. you know, like it's it just hit the internet maybe like an hour and a half ago or something oh, like perfect. that. Well, well, I'll play I'll play it at the end of the episode. Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, so the new song uh, comes with a new video, and it's uh, we just wanted to put something out to kind of like. Uh, talk about the not being super political because that's not us, but like we wrote a song that, that we feel might help people who feel alienated by maybe what's happening or just are kind of don't maybe don't fit in or don't feel like they belong. Like we feel like you feel, we feel like there's times that we don't belong and that we should all be getting together instead of driving each other apart. Um, so that's kind of the idea of the song. And we wanted to, we wanted to release it before we head out on warp tour so people could have it and hear it. And maybe we'll play it this summer. Um, and you know, we just wanted to release a song. So we're working on a new record right now. We, we got a bunch of songs written, but we wanted to, to give one out before, uh, before or the summer got too late. And, uh, that's what we're doing right now. We'll, you know, we'll start touring again sometime in the fall or early winter or something like that. And uh, cool. yeah, so congrats on on your new record as well. I'm excited Thanks, to yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm excited it's come to hear out, it. It's going to come out in the middle of Warp Tour, so it'll be uh, that'll be different for us. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I'm super excited to hear good. it. I like I like the song that uh, you guys released, and I think that you guys have. You're one of the most consistent bands in the scene, and I still remember the first time I, I saw you guys, which was in a weird place in Sydney, Ohio, which is only about. Oh, 15 I remember minutes. the show. 
Yeah, so wasn't that in the back of a music store or something? It, it absolutely was, and that was one of the reasons yeah. that like we saw you guys there, and we saw Spitalfield there a little while before or after that, and it was like, man, these these are just good ass bands, and that's another thing. That's that, crazy. Uh, I didn't know you were at that show. There must have been like forty people there. Yeah, and I was one of the actually my entire band. So we were we were one whatever of the crowd. I think what we're learning is that we we might have been at every show together. <laughs> <laughs> in the history of our careers and music listening uh experiences but yeah so we were at that show and you know we were we were hooked since then and uh i've always been super impressed and we have too with how consistent you guys are and how um you know for for those that are listening there you guys are a great band to, to hang out with you're always really like chill and humble you put on a great show and you're consistently making great music and and that's not always easy to do that we're like people people lose their way all the time and you just want to try other things that don't work out and you guys have been rock solid consistent so kudos to always yeah of course always being there and having such a great career even though you were forced to take us out you know, <laughs> I'm glad we, we really were. That. We really were forced, <laughs> and then it's funny. We we ended up. We only gave you half the tour too. That was yep. the negotiation. We were like, <laughs> we're not doing it. And Tony's like, okay, well, half the tour. So you guys were one half, and then I think the other band on the other half was the higher. Yeah, and the higher. The higher were we're actually doing pretty well. <laughs> they actually drew kids, but yeah. you know, I, I was. The, I will say, once your record came out, because your record came out on that tour, people were coming out in droves after that. So, it, we just we were late bloomers, man. You just had to give us a little bit of a chance, but you were worth every penny of that fifty bucks <laughs> that we didn't pay you because Victory paid you the fifty dollars to be on our tour. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, but back then the fifty dollars got us to the next town. So um, that's right. Yeah, gotta love that. Uh, that like buck 25 gas or whatever it was. Hell yeah. But you know, I, I will tell you really quickly before we, uh, do whatever, I guess we're all going to do. Um, I stay every night, every night at, when we played shows, we're like, man, you guys got to get back out with Silverstein. That was some of the best times of my life. And I was like, dude, it was some of the best times of our lives too. We, we love it. Anytime that opportunity is there. Uh, cause people ask, you still talk to those guys? We're like, absolutely, man. We're, Killer guys still putting out great records. So uh, our fans and whoever comes to our shows still absolutely loves your band. Um, so well, let's do a thing, what, man. For, for what it's worth, we will do the thing. Let's 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 get <laughs> together because I just want to continue to hang out. So, and I'll see you all summer, man. Okay, man. I appreciate every moment. Thank you. All right, JT. Thanks for taking the time and uh, and yeah, all the best, man. And, and good luck with the screen printing. Hell yeah. Well, good luck. Uh, I hope you guys get back home safely and soon, and and we'll see you soon, man. Thanks, man. Thanks, Shane. Yeah, cheers, man. All the best. Yep, you too. Bye-bye. See you. So there it is with my friend JT. So good to have him. And I think that probably was the saddest episode, but but I do appreciate JT, you know, digging deep there emotionally and, and talking about that stuff. I know it's not easy for him. I do appreciate him doing that. Next week, we have a wild, wild episode. It's going to be awesome. I don't want to spill the beans on it just yet. I don't want to spoil it, but I do want to say make sure you're subscribed, especially if you like hardcore. It's a really, really crazy wild episode and one of my favorites 
And if you like this show, please go on iTunes and write a review, preferably five stars. That's that stuff helps with our chart position or some kind of garbage that they tell me is important. And again, if you're so inclined, check out the All Access Club I talked about in the intro. Again, that link is leadsingersyndrome.com slash all access. So I'm going to leave you with a Hawthorne Heights song. I mean, I know you guys know all the classics, Nikki FM, Ohio is for lovers saying sorry. I know, you know, all those songs. If you don't definitely go check them out, but I'm going to play the new song that JT was talking about. This just came out just a few days ago. Here it is. Push me away by Hawthorne Heights on lead singer syndrome, peace and love. And we'll see you next week.